0: scripture this week is hebrews 6:13 through 20 i will read it as we begin when god made a promise to abraham because he had no one greater by whom to swear he swore by himself saying i will surely bless you and multiply you and thus abraham having patiently endured obtained the promise human beings of course swear by someone greater than themselves and an oath gives as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath. So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible that God should prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters. the the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I put my faith in Jesus when I was 12 years old. Along the way, God had been made real through Catholic catechism, a Pentecostal house church, and the evangelical paths of my siblings. For the past few years, I had found a home with the Wesleyans at a Church of God where I attended with another family. Bless those people who took in a stray kid to church whenever she wanted to go. When I finally knelt down and committed to the Lord, I was at a youth convention in Sacramento. There were probably over a hundred of us in a room on a big church campus sitting on the floor. I remember we had a scavenger hunt earlier that day and we had run all over the property. At this moment, the room was pretty dark and there was a guy talking. It's funny, given what I do now for a living, that I can't tell you anything about him or one thing he said. There is no flood of tears or the Lord appearing in a vision to me. When the invitation was given, I simply decided It was time to commit my life to Christ, because he had asked me to, and I knew it. So I raised my hand, and one of the youth leaders came and prayed for me. And in that instant, I understood in a new way that God was real. The salvation he offered through Jesus Christ had taken hold of my soul. Later, I had other experiences of God's presence where he showed up to speak, many actually, like all of us do. This happened when I felt a call to ministry when I was in high school and the first time I was in the sanctuary at Free Methodist Church. It happened when Mark and I were struggling with our future and again, when the lead pastorate here became available. Every person's conversion story is unique. How God meets each one of us and our unique relationship with him is special and life-giving. Last week, we talked about the theological considerations of what it might look like if there was no repentance for those who had believed firmly in Jesus and then rejected him. This idea we decided was worth our mental energy to dwell upon what it meant. There's mystery there. That is where faith comes in. This week, we're thinking about a different, although slightly related idea, and that is why it is that we put faith in God at all. There is something about the Lord that causes people to believe. What was it for you? What is it about the Lord that continues to make you put your faith in Jesus? This passage is a definitive bridge between what we previously studied and what is coming next week. The final verse from last week's passage was this, that we should be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Remember that the writer has been exhorting the audience about what they must do in order to lay hold to their faith. After one of the most shocking ideas in scripture about how they could be lost forever, the focus is turned 180 degrees to God's promises. God's promises rooted in his magnificent character found throughout the scriptures imitate Abraham it says who put huge faith in God not because Abraham was good but because of the unbelievable greatness of Yahweh whose incredible promises come true for everyone who believes in him let's get a brief refresher on Abraham's story. In the genealogy in Genesis 11, we see that Abram was a descendant of Noah's believing son Shem, who lived to be 600 and is himself recorded as an ancestor to Jesus. Directly following this listing, God speaks to Abram, telling him to leave his country, his family, his father's house, to go to a new land which will be shown to him. And this is what the Lord says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This covenant is repeated and affirmed a few times between Yahweh and Abram before we come to Genesis 22, which is over 25 years after the original call. Much has happened in that time, including a name change from Abram to Abraham, great wealth, interesting and dynamic life experiences where God is the center and the birth of two sons, One of those sons is the child of promise named Isaac, whom God asks Abraham to offer as a sacrifice. In that story, we see Abraham follow through with this unthinkable request. And we wonder at his faith. This child is the one that he and Sarah waited years to have. And now he's just going to lay him on the altar we can't hear this stoically because Abraham must have been torn in two between the son that he loved and the God he was longing to please the one that he had trusted to be good for so many years we imagine this situation to be full of anguish. This is the backdrop of our verses today. After Abraham begins to follow through with this request, God stops him and instead provides a ram for the sacrifice. Because of Abraham's obedience, the Lord again repeats the promise and swears an oath on himself that he will bless this man and his descendants forever. This becomes a foundational promise for God's people for all time. The author of Hebrews uses Abraham as a relevant illustration to encourage the community to persevere. Just as Abraham was able to receive the promise of God through faithful endurance and to bless so many. So the church is asked to put their hope in Christ even when the promises he's given seem far away. There are two ideas that we want to focus on from this passage. Both are what is given to help us believe and to be a blessing, God's promises and God's hope. Abraham exhibited what the readers needed to have, which was patient endurance. So as we dwell on God's promises and the hope of Christ, we want to think about where these two things could help us have more endurance today, both in our individual lives and in the community of faith and what it is that we are meant to do with the promises. What is it that we're meant to do with the hope we have? Remember a theme from Hebrews is that when God, what God provides in him is greater than anything we can manufacture or find on our own. So first, there's a fascinating discussion here about swearing and about how it amplifies or confirms the promises being made. One commentary I consulted gave a helpful reminder of how promises undergird our entire lives. Kids promise to keep a secret to one another, often crossing their hearts in affirmation. We promise to pay a loan, We sign documents of record. At a new job, we inevitably sign a contract promising to fulfill our responsibility. Soldiers, politicians, doctors, pastors, public servants, first responders and judges all take vows that they will uphold the integrity of their professions. Healthy civilizations are predicated on the truth being spoken and upheld at every level or things quickly disintegrate. When someone breaks a promise to us, we know how that betrayal feels. And we see how someone going back on their word hurts people and systems and institutions all the time. When we give a testimony in a court of law taking an oath of honesty, we swear by God's name that what we say will be true. Our society understands that the phrase so help me God on a witness stand is meant to lend a higher credibility to the person speaking. Our word alone is not enough. In Genesis 22, when God wants to make his promise known in the strongest terms, he swears by his own name because there is no one higher than himself. He puts his own name on the line. Think about that. What an incredible gesture, action, thing to do. There's a dual idea here mentioned in verse 18 of a promise strengthened by an oath. Besides being doubly binding, the writer calls them two unchangeable things that show God's intention. The promise had already been given which Abraham had held onto, even though most of what had been promised took years for him to really catch a glimpse. It took 60 years for any kind of multiplication to happen in the family. That's pretty slow going. We wonder if Abraham understood this oath on top of the promise as a sign that the promise would accelerate faster now that Yahweh said this. But we do know that the relationship between Abraham and God shows multiple layers of the spiritual life, of the dynamic that is possible between humans and God. As we step out in faith, as we grow in knowledge of the Holy One, we're offered opportunities continually to trust God, to see him at work. It's observable in Abraham's life and also in ours. I'm struck sometimes at how faith is portrayed in our world it can be so ambiguous an ambiguous notion spoken about in vague terms that literally mean nothing this is why I talked about my faith journey in the beginning because biblical faith is based on the promises and the truth of God's Word It isn't simply that we are people who believe in a nameless, benevolent, loving creator who is going to make all things work out in the universe at the end. We put our trust in the God who calls us by name, who invites us to know him and follow him, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, of Sarah and Ruth and Mary Our faith is predicated not on our decisions, not on our own understandings, but on God's. We can have faith that all kinds of ideals and works of service are good and important, but biblical faith is rooted in the character and the promises of God. We are asked to put our trust in God's loving, holy, and unchangeable ways. This is what Abraham did, and it is what we are called to do. Besides this specific promise, the Bible is packed with declarations of what the Lord will do for those who follow. In his great love, God has faithfully promised so much to be our strength and our shield, to never abandon us, to forgive whenever we ask, to give wisdom freely, to bring comfort to be our light and shepherd, to adopt us into his family, to provide for our needs, to give community, to bring healing, to empower for serving others, to give us peace in the middle of our fears. So stop and think about what promises you understood that helped you put your faith in the Lord. And stop and consider what specific assurances are you holding on to right now? Which ones have you forgotten but desperately need? God has given his word and his word has never, ever failed. Because if it ever did, he would cease to be God. So as we examine our faith, may we find the God revealed in the Bible to be at the center. The other part of the foundation of our faith here is hope. I don't know if you heard uh, Christine McLean's children's moment last week, but it uh, is worth your time. She talked about hope with the kids and she explained how when we say the word hope, what we're often conveying is a wish. I hope it will rain today. Um, I hope the stock market doesn't crash. I hope that life will get back to normal soon. That's not the kind of hope being talked about here. That's not really hope. The writer says because God guaranteed his promise with an oath, we who have taken refuge in him can take hold, take hold, seize the hope set before us. Our hope is built on God alone where we are allowed to truly know him. We don't ever want to take that for granted. This is revolutionary and unheard of in every way imaginable and people in our lives need to hear this. The passage says this hope is an anchor of the soul. What a beautiful picture of stability. In the ancient world, the anchor actually was a symbol of hope. The nautical image shows up in the writings of Plato, Plutarch, and Lucian. Clement of Alexandria, an influential early church leader, wrote that he thought an appropriate seal for the signet ring of a Christian would be a dove, a fish, or a ship's anchor. I love the truth of how hope is an anchor for our souls no matter what calamity or tempest or pandemic or immorality that continues to happen in our neighborhoods or in our world wherever we find ourselves our faith in the Lord is not shaken we don't get tossed around we stay put because God is in control it's crucial that when we feel battered by the winds and the waves, when we do think we've lost our moorings, to ask ourselves, where is our hope anchored? Where is our hope right now? Life can cause us to be overwhelmed and distressed. This is normal. But when we recognize that that's happened, and we can catch a breath, Figuring out what's going on inside of our souls helps tremendously. The world is always going to be an offensive, frustrating, painful place, but we who take refuge in God's love and in the promises of his word are reminded of his eternal steadfastness, of his mercy, of his strength, of his justice. This is what we bring when we go out and we serve in his name. Almost as soon as we get the image of the anchor in our minds, the picture switches to the tabernacle. We know that under the old covenant, no one could enter the holy presence of God except the high priest once a year. And the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was a constant reminder of how humanity was separated from Yahweh by their sin and brokenness. Matthew records that this curtain, which according to tradition, would have been 60 feet high and four inches thick, was torn in two from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on the cross. With his body, Jesus opened the way for everyone to enter. It says here that Jesus is a forerunner on our behalf a forerunner means a pioneer or a scout who goes ahead to make sure that things are safe for others who blazes the trail we've talked about that before since we know that the temple was a representation of the heart of God this is saying that following Jesus leads us to the center of knowing God This is the same God whose promise to Abraham was ultimately fulfilled in the Son, whose unchangeable nature has brought great blessing and hope to all peoples. As we hear about the promise to Abraham, we remember the promise was to Abraham, but also to all those who would come after him, to the nation that God was making, it was much more going to be for them God's promises are never simply given so one person can be blessed we are never given salvation and blessing and God's presence just for us God's promises according to God are for the nations to know him not just one nation all nations we are meant to take our blessing And to go and to be a blessing we extend God's love and truth and mercy to everyone we meet we are meant to go out in the name of Jesus so others can learn of his incredible hope for them Abraham patiently endured he waited we understand this God speaks and we don't know the full plan we don't understand how his promises are going to unfold for us and for others the plan that he has that the church would be a blessing to those around it along the way God affirms what is being done but the fullness of what will happen is not always meant for us to see in this life further on the writer of Hebrews is really going to dig into this idea yet for now We focus on the hope given to Abraham, who didn't see much of what God was promising, but whose life made so much possible for all those who would come later, for all of Israel, for the Messiah, for us today. Abraham lived as one who kept believing even when things seemed impossible. And awful and bleak and endless and not exactly what he thought the promise would be about in his life we see how God is real and how the world was changed through their relationship when I raised my hand that day to say I was ready to commit to follow Jesus I did it because I believed he was the Savior and I wanted to walk with him my whole life. The truth of Jesus's words and teachings made sense to me. They filled me with hope. I was drawn by the sacred love that I so needed. What is the foundation of your faith? What aspect of God's character do you hold onto? What promises has he individually given you? What is he meaning for you to do so that you can go and bless the nations, all peoples? We are a church who continue to wait for the promised one to return. Even when everything we hoped for by faith in God will be revealed in the last days, we wait. And until then we trust in the one who is real to us who has made himself real to us every moment of every day we are promised that we are completely known and fully loved may our inherited faith always sit firmly in the promises and the hope of our Lord found in Jesus Christ amen thank you for listening If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.